Today, we are going to be talking with someone who walked not in the same footsteps as Tiger Woods on the weekend, but actually right near those footsteps. We are also going to be looking at something that could help out in the fight against prostate cancer, and the finding occurred here in London. We're going to be celebrating a caniversary. What's a caniversary? This might be a new word. Celebrating a caniversary. From yesterday, the story of a family that 14 years ago decided, you know what? We've got a pretty good life. This is a pretty good life. Things are going very well. You know what we should do? We should uproot our entire life, pack it into eight suitcases, move to a different country, and start a brand new life. We'll have that story after 2 o'clock. We are also going to talk about a, a pretty tough Tough issue for a few Londoners in particular who live in a great part of the city. If you were able to go to Victoria Park and then just go east, and before you get to Adelaide, and you were maybe able to box off an area right there, that's a great spot. There are some beautiful houses in there. Well, the neighborhood has been ravaged by break-ins. Have a listen to this and see if you can figure out what is happening. Get out of my truck right now. Get out of my truck right now. (laughs) I don't even mean to laugh, but just here, listen to it one more time. Get out of my truck right now. Get out of my truck right now. That ah is someone breaking into a truck. And that voice that you hear is a voice that you're going to hear in a half hour when we are able to speak with Michelle Kaplan. That's her voice. She was sick and tired of having her work truck broken into. And this was not a one-time occurrence or a twice occurrence or a three-time occurrence. It happened over and over again. And her neighborhood was being absolutely plagued by break-ins. People just stealing stuff off front porches. People breaking into vehicles, smashing windows to do it to the point that you think, you know what, instead of actually locking my vehicle... I might as well just leave it open because maybe then they'll just flip the handle and they won't have to smash the window to get in. And I won't have to replace the window. And I won't have to keep reporting this to my insurance company. And I won't have to keep paying higher insurance rates. I'll just leave it open. Do what you want to do. It happened four times over three nights. But Michelle made a change. She got a camera. And she got an app that connected to her phone. And she had two-way communication with that camera, and she also had an alert that told her when there was motion in her vehicle, when that camera sensed motion. And that's what she picked up, someone actually breaking into her vehicle. That video has been turned over to police, and police may have themselves an arrest based on what is on that video. We'll see. But... Break-ins are something that become very frustrating. If you've ever had your vehicle broken into, if you ever had your home broken into, it's not just frustrating. You have that feeling of violation. Somebody's been where they weren't supposed to go. Somebody's been to a part of you where they weren't supposed to go. So Michelle will tell us her entire story. We'll talk more about that starting in a half hour from now. But we did have a very big story in this area come to, in a way, a conclusion. It's not over yet because, unfortunately, life is not back to normal for someone who never, ever 
should have had to have a change in their life at all. If we go back to October 21st of 2017, you may know the story where there was an assault at Horton Variety. And unfortunately, a man who we've all come to know as Roger since that assault was badly injured. And eventually an arrest was made and a trial took place. And just today, 22-year-old Jesse Aaron McConnell pleaded guilty to one count of aggravated assault. And that assault is in connection, or that assault resulted in the beating of Roger L. Sharafa. And we're going to talk with a reporter of ours from 980 CFPL, Lenny Lambrink, who was in the courtroom in just a few minutes. But Lenny also had an opportunity to speak with Roger's sister, Samar, and to ask Samar her feelings about the sentence that was brought down by Judge Janine Leroy. Three and a half years is what Jesse Aaron McConnell has received. Three and a half years in prison. Here are the thoughts of Samar El-Sharafa on that sentence. Three years, it means what? Nothing. Nothing. This is not the penalty. Oh, that's my dad is saying now. Yeah. He, really, he deserved more than this. He destroyed the family. Did you hear my dad, what he's saying? He destroyed the family. And even his wife now cannot handle the situation that much. She's really overwhelmed too much now. So my dad's trying to take some. She's overwhelmed too much. Um, now he's even, we'll say, thank God, doing much better, but he cannot ha- handle to hear too much noise. If his kids also, you know, they're little. So now she's trying to put her kids all the time in camping and he's not there because, you know, um, because of the noise at home. So is this his kind of family? No. That is Samar Al-Sharafa talking about the sentence for Jesse McConnell, three and a half years, for the assault of her brother, Roger Al-Sharafa, who ran Horton Variety. And as she says, he's got two little kids, and it's changed the family. It's changed the family dynamic. The injuries that he suffered still bother him. And noise bothers him. How would you like it? Because the noise of children, that's a great noise. It really is. Now, it can be loud. It can be shrill. There can be screaming. But you know what? That's part of the fun. What if that noise bothered you to the point that you couldn't handle it, that you had to get away from that noise, that you actually had to get away from your kids? That's what he's dealing with right now. So here's the question that I want you to keep in mind. We are going to talk in just a moment with 980 CFPL reporter Lini Lambrick, who was in the courtroom this morning when Jesse McConnell pleaded guilty and when that sentence was handed down. Here's the question, and it's an age-old question when it comes to trial and when it comes to sentencing. Is three and a half years enough for somebody who has changed somebody else's life? This person did not murder anyone. The victim is still alive, but three and a half years. The legal system plays out how it does. But if we look at that, is that fair? 
If you want to email your thoughts, you can do it, mike at 980cfpl.ca, and we'll open up the phones after we speak with Lenny Lambrink. We'll do that next. This is London Live. My name is Mike Stubbs. You're listening to Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. If you want to see all of the latest details that we have on the Jesse McConnell sentencing, you can do so right now at 980cfpl.ca because there is an updated story there. But we can do even better on London Live this afternoon because we have our reporter, Lenny Lambrink, who was in the courtroom as... The sentence was being handed down three and a half years for the assault on Roger L. Sharafa. And that's the thing that we're going to be talking about in just a minute, three and a half years. But I want to get you some details because there are very important details to consider before we all sit back and say, well, three and a half years doesn't sound like a very long time at all. Lini, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Lini, you were in the courtroom this morning and details were brought about concerning the assault itself, and that becomes a really important part of this whole story. What did you hear? Well, up until today, we didn't really know exactly what had happened. We knew that there was an aggravated assault, and we knew or we that there was an individual charged with aggravated assault, and then we knew the extent of the injuries. Um, but today, we heard an agreed statement of facts from uh, that's something that both of the defense lawyer and the Crown agreed on, and we heard that um, there was essentially Jesse and some of his friends had been um, drinking and generally socializing in an apartment above the convenience store. They had gone outside and um, Roger went outside to ask them to, I guess, leave because they were in front. They were kind of blocking the entrance to his store. Um, Jesse came. We heard that Jesse came at him, um, approached him. I think Roger pushed him away and tried to throw a punch that didn't land. And then he was punched three times in the face. Um, Hard, we heard. Um, One of those punches knocked him out and then he fell over. Um, And so the Crown was telling these facts to the court today. And he said it's entirely possible that Jesse had turned and run before even realizing that... um, Roger was on the ground. Um, so the, it seems like the extent of those injuries that put him in hospital and had him re, like needing five months worth of rehabilitation, those those injuries seem to have come from hitting the pavement or the concrete actually as hard as he did. Now, when we look at the aftermath of this, you had a chance to speak with Samar Al-Sharafa, who is Roger's sister, Lingering effects, five months of rehab. There are still lingering effects for Roger. Yes. Um, So the court heard today that physically he seems he has made like a miraculous recovery. But like you said, lingering effects. So I heard from his sister that um, he has a a three-year-old and a seven-year-old at home. And they're, you know, rambunctious little ones as they are. (laughs) Um, And it sounds like it's hard for him to handle that at home. Um, I guess just the impact of the injury, he can't really handle the loud noise. And so his wife has to is trying to keep the kids out of the house. So you think maybe maybe one small nice thing coming out of this is that he gets to spend more time with his kids. Well, he gets to spend even less time with his kids because he can't really handle the loud noise, which is probably absolutely terrible for him because 
of course you want to spend time with your kids. When you look at the sentencing that was handed down, any reaction from Jesse McConnell as it happened? No. No? No. Okay. Three and a half years was the sentence. Lini, thank you so much for describing the scene. Thanks for having me. Lini Lambrink, 980 CFPL reporter. And... I guess that's what we have to look at. There's a statement that the Crown and the defense both agree on. So it brings to light more of the story than maybe what we had before. And that becomes an altercation in which, as the Crown pointed out, you have a lot of the injury having taken place because of Roger Al-Sharafa hitting the ground. So three and a half years when you think, well, this is an assault. We have somebody who is still feeling lingering effects that you throw your hands in the air and say, how could this happen? Three and a half years. That's not enough. When you hear that part of the statement, that's why we wanted to have Lenny Lambrink in here to relay that statement. Does that change how you feel about this? Let's open up the phones. 519-643-643. 2222, 519-643-2222. Again, you can read the latest on the story right now at 980cfpl.ca, but let's talk a little bit about it. And let's start with Richard. Richard, how are you? Good afternoon, Mike. How are you this afternoon? Excellent, thanks. You know, we always seem right to talk about the perpetrators, right? And we always talk about the thugs, right? Let's just once, right, put a face on the victim. Roger, I got to know him quite well. And how I got to know him, Mike, is I go to the Boys and Girls Club, right, over at uh, Horton Street there, to the Seniors uh, Club there. And I went over one day to the Horton Street Variety Store, and I went over to get the London Free Press and the Toronto Sun. And that's how I got to meet Roger. And Roger said to me, he said, I'm sorry. He said, I don't carry the London Free Press or the Toronto Sun because he said most of my customers in this area, he said, they're just struggling to put bread and butter on the table for their families, right? He said, they can't afford to be buying the London Free Press in the Toronto Sun. And then he said to me, he said, oh, do you like to keep up on things? I said, I sure do. So him and I, right, every time I would go to the seniors club, I'd always find time to go over and talk to Roger and because he used to like to talk about politics the same as I did. And he had his views and I had my views. But where I really got to know what kind of man he was, one day I was standing at the counter there talking to him and this gentleman come in and Roger pulled out a little book, right, out of his pocket, right, and told the man, right, you go get what you need and the guy went and got what he needed. He got a couple of, I believe it was jars of spaghetti and some uh, spaghetti itself, right, and that. Then he wrote it down in his book, right, and he said, you, he said, I'll catch you on check day, he said, right. I said to Roger afterwards, I said, I haven't seen that. I said, since the 1960s, I said, when corner stores here in London, right, once they got to know, know you and once they got to trust you, they would do that. I said, I haven't seen that since the 60s. And it is now the year, I think it was 2016, this happened. I said, you're doing that? He said, I'll turn nobody away. He said, obviously, if they don't pay their bill, he said, I can't keep giving them stuff. But he said, if they come back and they pay me faithfully, right, he said, I will definitely, he said, see, right, that they get something to eat. That's the kind of man that Roger was, right? And to his family, I would like to say I'm sorry that uh, your father and your husband and your uh, grandfather, right, that he didn't get justice whatsoever. Three and a half years, right? That is an absolute insult. This was the same city, Mike, on this last note, this was the same city that once gave a young 17-year-old boy, right, 23 months in jail for attempted fraud of $50, right, and he never even got the $50, but yet today in 2018 
or 17, you can go out and beat somebody half to death and only get three and a half years. It's an absolute disgrace. If you're listening to me, Roger, out there, and if you remember me, it's your old friend Richard, right, the, the politician, right, who used to talk to you. Anyways, it's absolutely disgusting, that sentence, and I hope somebody in the prison courtyard takes care of it. You have a good day, Mike. Richard, thank you for sharing that, because there are so many great stories about Roger just like that. That's the kind of guy he was. You can't afford? I'm going to help you out. I'll catch you on check day. 519-643-2222. We're talking about a three-and-a-half-year sentence for Jesse McConnell for, after pleading guilty, the assault on Roger Al-Sharafa. Jeff, your thoughts on this? How's it going there, Mike? Pretty good, thanks. Good. Uh, just calling... Uh... In my opinion, I think it's too much. And how come? Uh, this guy threw the first punch, right? Well, I mean, the, we go back. That's why we had Leanie Lambrink come in and, and discuss what was said in court. So anyone who missed that discussion, the Crown and the defense agreed on a statement of fact as to right. what took place. There was an altercation. There was a shove. Uh, Roger may have taken a swing at Jesse McConnell. And then there were three hard punches, according to the statement of fact. And then Roger fell to the ground, at which time he hit his head. And that is, according to the statement of fact, where the majority of the injury that he's still suffering from occurred. Okay, well, yeah, in my opinion, I think that's too much. Three and a half years. How much How much time has this guy got, like, dead time, like, uh, waiting for trial? Well, do do, like a year or something. I think we're down to, I, I don't want to say for sure, so I'm, I'm not going to say, but there is a little bit of time, yes. So he's going to get a couple of years, pen time for that. That's, that's quite a bit for punching somebody out. Look at the guy fell to the ground, he hit his head, all right? I've known, I, I happen to know somebody firsthand that got into an altercation, a guy went down, hit his head, and died, you know, and he got, he got about five years. Three and a half years, and this guy isn't really physically, you know, impaired for the rest of his life. He's not paralyzed. He's not, you know, he didn't suffer a fracture in his skull or anything like that. Three and a half years, that's a pretty long stretch, I think. Jeff, thanks for sharing that. I mean, you know... It, it, He's going to be a year in dead time. It can get pretty rough in there, plus another couple of years in the pen. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty That's pretty much. That's, that's pretty good, I think. Okay. Thanks for the call. Thank you. 519-643-2222. What do you think of the sentence? Are you on the side that believes, no, that's not enough? Or having heard the statement of fact, does that change how you view this case? Because that statement of fact is very interesting. Back to the phones, we go with Ryan. Ryan, what do you think? Good day, sir. Um, I have a couple of thoughts on the, the topic, actually. I used to live in an apartment uh, directly next door to Raj's store, um, and I got to know him extremely well. I lived in that place for two years, and I, was, I talked to him every day. Uh, I can definitely attest to what a lot of people say about the guy. Um, like, he would, he would give people free stuff. Uh, he'd take tabs. Uh, part, like, part of his personality was he's, he's a larger-than-life guy, right? So when he's when he wants to help people, he goes over the top. But having got to know him, that all being said, when he's angry about something, he's he's again he's kind of an over the top guy. I'm just I find in these situations it's it's always too black and white. Uh, people look at the crime, and then they look at the sentence, and they make a judgment call. Now, like I, there's there's no criminal intent there. Like he didn't come down to pick a fight with anybody. Uh, I would I would sooner guess that that Raj maybe approached the situation 
maybe not in the most respectful way to begin. So if people don't actually know both people involved, then I'm, I fail to see how they can make an accurate judgment call. No, that's a, that's a very good point. And you know what? You, you outline it nicely in that the situation is different every time. We do want to make things black and white. We, we want, okay, well, was this person in the wrong or was this person in the wrong? How far were they in the wrong? What is the outcome? Then here's the punishment. And, you know, it's strange that after all these years, Ryan, we still do that, even though life never really sure, works I, like that. I, I would say that in most of these cases, to be more accurate, both people are, to, to varying degrees, in the wrong most times. Because um, two people don't start throwing punches at each other, which is what happened, uh, from what I was told by the reporter. So, I, I mean, that you don't start off asking somebody to change their behavior by throwing a punch at them. Um, it just, that's not, generally speaking, how that works. So, I mean, and this is the thing, the kid's 22 years old, so what do we do? We throw him in jail for 10 years, and then he comes out having had no opportunity to go to school, no opportunity to make anything of himself, and we just created a career criminal that taxpayers have to shoulder the burden for for how long. So there, there's got to be a better way than just throwing them, you know, locking, up, locking them up and throwing away the key. Ryan, thanks for your, for your thoughts today. Yep, take care. Take care. Just to clarify one of the earlier questions from Jeff, how much time remains in the sentence? With debt time, Jesse McConnell will serve two and a half years. This is from the court. It will be 29 and a half months to be exact. So there's the answer, Jeff, to that question. Thank you so much for the thoughts. Keep them coming. You're going to email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. We have news next with Jacqueline LaBelle. And then we'll talk about another crime. Another number of crimes being committed in the city and what one individual did about it. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFBL. One change to the lineup for today. We're going to trade treading near the footsteps of Tiger Woods for a big bag of gluten. You'd make that trade, wouldn't you? Come on, big bag of gluten. Treading near the footsteps of Tiger Woods. Who wants to do that? No, we'll do that tomorrow. But we're going to look into gluten in about an hour from now. And here's how we're going to look at it. If you are someone who says, you know, I don't have an intolerance to gluten. I'm not allergic to gluten. I just don't think I should have it because it sounds like it's so bad. Are you actually making an error? Should you actually just ignore the whole, yeah, gluten, I don't, I don't think I want to have gluten, and go for it? Well, we'll ask that question. So if you have been avoiding gluten, be here in an hour. And then tomorrow, we'll talk with someone who was treading near the footsteps of Tiger Woods. In about four minutes, we're going to be in conversation with the woman responsible for this. Get out of my truck right now. Get out of my truck right now. Get out of my truck right now. What, it's it's not Billy Ocean. It's not get out of my dreams, get into my car. It's get out of my truck and don't come back. That's someone breaking into Michelle Kaplan's truck. Was she able to catch them and actually brought along a microphone? Uh, no, no. She set up a camera and that camera would actually turn on a light if someone was breaking into her truck. 
And it did catch somebody. Why? Because break-ins have been happening so much in her neighborhood and happening so much to her truck, she decided to do something about it. Her story is coming up. If you are looking for something to do today, especially with the kids, uh, they're having a big old celebration as part of Hockeyville in Lucan. And let's check in on this very quickly. The mayor of Lucan Bidolf Township joins us right now, Kathy Berghart Jessen, because it is another big day for Hockeyville. When you win the crown, Kathy, you get a whole lot of big days, don't you? You know, it's just like a never-ending season. It just goes on and on. And uh, once again, we're just happy to be a part of it. Let us know some of the things taking place today. So today really is um, kind of a summer celebration of uh, the community winning Craft Hockeyville. Um, We have uh, skills and drills uh, that we've set up for the kids to participate in. Um, we've got all sorts of games that uh, the kids can play that aren't, aren't just hockey-related. Um, so any kid that has any interest in any sort of act, physical activity is uh, encouraged to come out and participate. Uh, so we've got that going on. We've got a free swim for all the participants that uh, come out today, a barbecue. But the big news is um, coming home to Lucan is Logan Couture, and he will be spending a chunk of the afternoon with us. And perhaps signing an autograph or two, telling a story, maybe? Signing an autograph or two, absolutely. And um, we hope that uh, he will be able to share some of his memories of his early days in minor hockey, getting his start with the Lucan Minor Hockey Association. Uh, it's just, it's such a thrill to have him come back. Um, he doesn't do it very often, but when he does, um, it's always a big day for us. Kathy Berghardt-Jessen joining us, Mayor of Luke and Bidoff, as we talk about the latest part of Hockeyville, which draws closer and closer and, of course, leads up to a big game between the Ottawa Senators and the Toronto Maple Leafs. When do all of the activities run to until today, Kathy? So today we're running right now, and uh, we'll continue running till about 4 o'clock this afternoon. And are proceeds heading anywhere? So... Our junior um, C Hockey Club is running a barbecue, and the funds that they get from that barbecue will stay with their club. Um, but today is free uh, is a free event for um, those that come out. So there won't be any funds raised today, um, but uh, our Luke and Minor Hockey Club will be receiving a check from the NHLPA. So there is some money involved in today's celebrations. Very nice. And then where does that money wind up going, or how does it help out? Okay, so part of um, becoming a finalist in the Craft Hockey Bill um, program, um, not only did you did communities secure money for arena upgrades, uh, through the Craft Hockeyville program, but the NHLPA, through their Goals and Dreams uh, program, um, has earmarked for each of the four finalists, so that would be Huntington to Quebec, La Flèche, Saskatchewan, High River, Alberta, and of course, Lucan. Um, through the NHLPA Goals and Dreams, Lucan Minor Hockey will receive $10,000 uh, towards going towards equipment purchases. Fantastic. Well, enjoy the day. The sun is supposed to come out at some point and uh, should make for an excellent time. Kathy, thanks for the latest update. That's great. Thanks so much, Mike. Kathy Berghardt-Jason, Mayor of Lucan-Bidolf Township, Hockeyville 2018.
I don't know about that whole sun thing, though. If you looked west, if you haven't, don't look west. It's uh, not looking like it's going to be sunny anytime soon. Maybe to the north of London. Maybe maybe Lucan has the sunshine for this event. That's where you can head for all of those things, including a visit with Logan Couture. Next, Michelle Kaplan joins us. Her truck was broken into four times over a period of three nights. Well, that fourth time... That was a doozy, because that's when her camera really went to work. We'll talk about the story and the fact that Michelle was living a life along with a few of her neighbors in what should be an outstanding part of the city of London that wasn't so outstanding because of the criminal activity taking place. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. I've been talking a lot about crime, and we're going to continue to do that. If you want to take... A big rectangle and put it essentially from Victoria Park up to Oxford, maybe down to Dufferin and all the way across to Adelaide. You've got a chunk of beautiful older homes in the city of London. It's a great area. There are sorority houses in that mix. There are frat houses in that mix. There's also a lot of crime in that area. And Michelle Kaplan is joining us right now to talk about how she has been affected by that crime and what she has done about it. Her truck was broken into four times over a period of three nights, so she decided to do something. Michelle, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Well, I'm glad to hear you're great, because uh, a lot of people in your situation might use a few other words to describe how they feel. I'm going to stick with frustrated rather than the more explicit words I could use. Okay. All right. Well, that works. Let's kind of talk about what's been happening. How far back in time do we have to go to get to the first occurrence? Uh, for me, five years. I've lived in this neighborhood for five years and have consistent problems. At the time, I didn't own the truck in question. Uh, but anytime I inadvertently left my car open, it was rifled through. So. Uh, I did lock the doors for the car as much as possible. I do now as well. The work truck's a different situation, um, but, you know, it's been a consistent problem for five years. Vehicles, property, I catch people in my backyard. It's everywhere in our neighborhood. And things seem to hit a boiling point one period of time of, what would you say, three nights? Yes, over three nights, four people entered my vehicle. And how did you know this was happening? Was it afterward, or did you actually hear it taking place? So we had already had people rifling through the work truck a couple of times. We have a, a work truck with tinted vehicle, uh, tinted windows. And so the situation there, in comparison with a car, is their target. Because if people can't see in that there aren't tools in there, the assumption is there are. So the actual owner of the truck is not, is not me, but it does get parked in my driveway. And... Uh, he has had approximately 15 windows smashed over the years of owning his business. So this is not slipping into an unopened vehicle every time. This is just finding a way. And were they damaging the vehicle over those three nights every time? They No. What we What we decided to do when we got this vehicle was to leave one door unlocked for the purposes of trying to avoid smashed windows. When this started happening several times a week we decided to install a video camera to see if we could catch them. Michelle Kaplan joining us as we talk about frequent break-ins and 
as Michelle says, it was happening all over the place over a period of time. And then all of a sudden, break in after break in after break in for a three night period. What had you done up to that point other than just kind of live with it? Very little. <laughs> just live with it is exactly it. Um, I'm involved in uh, four Facebook groups of communities around my area, and there are complaint after complaint after complaint of thefts. Uh, bikes are certainly the biggest that I see. We have, uh, you know, patio furniture being taken from people's backyards. I mean, they're not. I, I want to say that they're opportunistic thieves in the sense that I don't know too many people with windows smashed recently. At the same time, why can't we have things in our backyards, for example, without uh, worrying about them being stolen? Is this prompting any kind of neighbor meeting or do you talk to each other when you might see each other walking to the door? We use social media quite a bit. Um, Old East Village is, um, you know, quite a problem in that area. Woodfield has been quite a problem. Piccadilly area and Old North are the ones that I hear most often. Uh, And, uh, you know, we are trying to band together here because we're all fed up. Well, you decided to take another step, go to a new level. What was that? So when we installed the camera, it was really more about actually trying to deter The camera is very visible. We thought that by putting the camera in there, it would stop them from getting in. What I found very amusing is that the first three out of the floor seem to have thought that when they open the door and the big spotlight comes on, that we were providing them more light to see what to steal. What I didn't, uh, what didn't happen um, is this camera actually has an app on my phone that notifies me when there's motion. Unfortunately, the first three times I was dead asleep and it didn't wake me. The fourth time it did, and it has a microphone, so I scared the guy off by asking him to get out of the truck right away. So wait a minute. You actually got the notification on your phone that there had been motion? You went outside? No, I actually did it from the comfort of my bed. I hit a button and I spoke with the guy. It's got two-way communication. And I said, get out of my truck right now. It scared him pretty good. Uh, That particular individual got away with one of our branded work shirts. Uh, which had been used during our work for a couple of days, so it probably would have been pretty smelly. I hope he actually put it on and realized his mistake. (laughs) So you wind up communicating with a person who had broken into your vehicle. What was his reaction? Uh, He squealed and ran away. You have video of this happening. Did it look like different people night after night? Originally, I thought two of them were the same. Uh, they were uh, they were enters uh, two and four. Uh, I'm not. I'm still to this moment not positive whether it was the same guy. Uh, police identified the fourth uh, quite clearly, at least to their uh, to their belief that they know exactly who it is. The other one that I thought might have been the same person, maybe him or maybe his brother. You have obviously been able to get police involved. What have you found out from them in terms of what you've decided to do in using a camera? So when I spoke with the police officers, I explained my strategy. And again, it being a work truck is why we leave it unlocked. I realize it's different with a personal vehicle um, because we are targeted for window smashing. They agree that the best thing to do is leave it open with nothing in it. 
because it's very expensive to be replacing windows all of the time. Michelle Kaplan joining us as we talk about what she decided to do after all kinds of break-ins, after a neighborhood that had had stuff stolen out of backyards, off patios, and then all of a sudden her work truck was broken into three nights in a row, and Michelle installed a camera system, was able to communicate with one of the individuals who had broken into the work truck. He ran away. Police have hopefully identified him. When was all of this taking place, Michelle? This is July uh, 19th through 21st. Have you had anything happen since? No, uh, I think partially that is probably due to social media. There has been quite a lot of activity on those vid- on those videos. Um, in addition to that, th- th- let me put it to you this way. This week shall tell the tale whether or not there's been a difference. Over the weekend, because it's the weekend, we were actually out sitting on the porch for the majority of the evening. So I wonder if that may have been the reason why they that why nobody came back. But on the uh, fourth person, the thing that occurred is at 12.30 a.m., we actually saw this individual and two others on bikes with flashlights signaling to each other and attempted to walk towards the truck before they saw us. It's the same guy who then came back at 5 in the morning and broke in. Boy, or I kinda... should say entered. A lot of people are having a big issue with me saying broke in if I leave the doors unlocked. <laughs> But still, they're looking to take stuff from your truck. That has to be unnerving, seeing this kind of play out in front of you. Very. So, I, I mean, I'm a single woman living uh, living alone most of the time. Um, I've, I've had a lot of people... In, social media is very interesting. Because we have put it out there and tried to get the conversation going about the issue that we're all experiencing and trying to make a difference here... Uh, there's a lot of people who are very supportive of what I'm doing. And there's a lot of victim blaming. A lot of people saying, well, if you leave your doors unlocked, you have only yourself to blame. And I'm thinking to myself, no, regardless of what I choose to do, if they are entering my vehicle un- uninvited, that is at the very least trespassing. If they take something that's theft, call it whatever you want to. This is not acceptable behavior. Have you ever considered moving? No, I like my house too much. And you have the right to. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, I don't believe in adjusting my lifestyle because somebody else is a punk. Well, good for you because there are a lot of people who would have adjusted, who may have left a house that they really liked. So what are you hoping to hear or see in the next little while? Silence? Nothing? Uh, Well, from a purely selfish standpoint, yes, I'd like them to stop coming onto my property. But a bigger solution, and perhaps this is naive, and I will admit that, but I wish for these people to find a better path, and I hope that our system supports that to happen. Um, I think everybody should be able to have whatever it is that they wish that they work hard for without worrying about theft. There's clearly mental health issues going on. There's clearly addiction. There's clearly poverty. What are we doing as a society and communities to help solve this problem in a bigger way? Michelle, thanks for taking the time for us today. My pleasure. Michelle Kaplan, how's that for a story? Lives in 
the area of, of Woodfield, and I don't know how many people outside of that particular area know what is Woodfield. Do you know what is Woodfield? It's south of Oxford. Basically, if you were to draw a rectangle from Victoria Park over to Adelaide, it is that area right in there. So it's a great area. That's a great area. But to be inundated by break-ins as they are, yeah, that's that's tough. So that's what she's dealing with right now. We'll take a break. We'll let you know what is coming up after our next newscast, which is about four minutes away with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. News will have the latest on the Jesse McConnell sentencing that was handed down earlier today, three and a half years. Jacqueline LaBelle has that story and others. And then after 2 o'clock, we get to celebrate a caniversary. Caniversary? Can of worms? No, caniversary. You'll see what it is. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Do you avoid gluten? Do you have an opportunity to eat gluten-free food? Do you do it? If you suffer from something like celiac disease, absolutely. If... You have some other intolerance to gluten? Sure. Sure you do. But how about by choice? If you do it by choice, do you have taste buds? I don't know about you. Have you ever eaten a gluten-free piece of apple pie? Apple pie. Apple pie is great. A little ice cream on top. You can't ruin apple pie until you make it without gluten. Gluten-free any pie? I don't know how you do it. If you actually can get that down, you need to call Rich Shea of competitive eating because you can eat anything. You could you could knock apple pie without gluten in it is a lot like eating your shoe. It's horrible. I couldn't get through a piece. So to choose to eat gluten-free, well, it's it's a choice. It's a lifestyle. Well, how much of that is lifestyle and how much of it is actually advertising? How much of it is somebody saying, you know, this this is good, things without gluten, you, you should try those. They taste awful. And I appreciate people who aren't able to eat gluten, but if you have the choice to add it to your diet, I don't know how you miss out on it. It's just food's not the same without it. We're going to talk about whether or not advertising is having a major factor on whether or not people are eating gluten. We'll do that in a half hour from now. want to touch on an email. Last hour, we spent an awful lot of time on a couple of crimes, one being a slew of break-and-enters that have been happening in the Woodfield area and what one woman has done about it, actually capturing this on video – kind of makes you realize how far technology has come when you can hook up a camera to your phone. And once you think about this, you think, well, of course that exists. But the idea that someone's gone far enough where you hook up a camera in your vehicle to your phone, the camera turns on a light whenever it's motion sensitive, motion activated. So it turns on a light and then you get to see what's going on on your phone and there's a two-way communication between you and the camera so that you can actually yell at somebody within range of that camera. Well, that's what Michelle Kaplan did. And here's hoping that the break-ins and the petty crime stuff in her neighborhood in Woodfield dies down because more people are apt to 
get out and stick a camera into their vehicle or on their front porch to try and nab the people who are doing this. Now, petty crime's a tough thing. Police officers, it's hard to catch somebody unless you do it and they, they're caught on the spot committing the crime. Hard to do that. And, and then you know, we talked about court cases last hour, one in particular, and Jesse McConnell receiving three and a half years, which will boil down to 29 and a half months with time served, for the assault that occurred um, on Roger, who ran Horton Variety. And we looked at whether or not that sentence was one that fit the crime. And the statement of fact that came out in court, I think had a lot of people maybe changing their tune. I I wanted to read an email from Al that we didn't get a chance to read just to close off everything from last hour. We were talking about whether a punishment is too harsh or too lenient. And Al says, I think the better question is whether there is even such a thing as too harsh a punishment, too long a sentence, according to public opinion. If public opinion dictated sentencing, 9 out of 10 people convicted of even the lightest crimes would be put into jail. All too often, the key would be thrown out. And Ryan brought up a really good point. You know, you've got somebody who is 22. If this had been maybe different circumstances, the statement of fact indicated that Roger had gone at Jesse McConnell and had perhaps taken a swing by way of a punch that missed and that there was a push involved. And then there were three hard punches, and Roger went down, hit his head on the ground, and that is where the bulk of his injuries were sustained. So that kind of changed things a little bit, I think, in a lot of minds, didn't it? And Ryan pointed out, hey, we've got a guy who's 22 years old. You want to throw him away for 10 years? He's been in the system a long time. He gets out. What kind of breaks is he going to get? So interesting discussion. If you haven't read the story or the latest on the story, you can do so at 980cfpl.ca. Right now, we get an opportunity to celebrate something. We get to celebrate a caniversary. Caniversary? Yes. Shobhita Sharma and her family came to Canada 14 years ago. And... When you hear about a family that decides, yeah, we're just going to do this. We're just going to leave one country, come to another country. There's always a really fascinating story to that. There are fascinating details. And we get an opportunity to hear those right now because Shobhita joins us on London Live. Shobhita, how are things going on this Tuesday in Canada? Things are fabulous. How are you, Mike? I'm okay, but I didn't just celebrate a pretty significant anniversary yesterday, and I think it's really, really fascinating that you did take the time to celebrate the anniversary. Let us know what you call it, first off. Oh, I was uh, I was calling it a caniversary, like an anniversary, but it was my Canada anniversary. Uh, it was 14 years ago yesterday that I came to Canada with my dad. And, and then my mom. Sorry, go ahead. So is, is that a word that you've heard anywhere else, or can we mark down Shobhita Sharma for coining the phrase? Oh, I'm not running to the to the trademark people yet, but <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just um, it, it was it's always just been a very special day for me because um, it was like I said, it was yesterday, well, July 23rd that uh, that I that I came to Canada, and it's been it's been great since it's been like London's been home. Let's take a look at what it took 
to actually have you and your father move, the choices that had to be made 14 years ago. What do you remember from that time? Right. So, uh, so to clarify, like my, my, my dad and I came here first, and then my sister and my mom followed like the next month. But anyway, so 2004, um, I was 18, and uh, my, my family had a very comfortable, nice, upper-middle-class lifestyle, um, and uh, we lived in New Delhi, India. Uh, my sister and I both went to a fabulous school and basically had everything that we needed or wanted, I guess. Um, however, uh, I think my dad did not want us to grow up uh, in a place that we, we feared for our safety. He wanted us to become strong, independent women without putting any conditions on how we, how we got to our goals. Um, I don't think anybody would argue with me if I said that New Delhi is not the safest places uh, is definitely not the safest place for for women um, in this world, uh, and and my dad had that foresight. And um, I guess uh, in 2004, my family basically liquidated everything that they had. Um, my parents packed um, our entire household, whatever they could, in eight 32 kilogram suitcases said painful goodbyes to family, lifelong friends, um, and decided to come here just so that my sister and I could have a better life. Shobhita Sharma joining us. Londoner who 14 years ago came to Canada with her family. Yesterday was her anniversary, and I think we do need a trademark somewhere on that. Now, Shobhita, what were the friends and family in New Delhi and maybe other parts of India saying about what you were doing? You know what? I'm pretty sure that a lot of people thought that what my dad did was um, was a strange decision to make because, like I said, we had really comfortable life. Uh, we had a very comfortable life in, in New Delhi. My dad had a very good, established career. Um, my mom was a homemaker, and things were really, really good. Um, and most people didn't see the need for us to do something so drastic, but my dad knew that if, if my sister and I were given that one shot to be, like I said, strong and independent and be able to do things without fear, he needed to make that sacrifice, which I'm forever grateful for. I don't think I can ever be paying for that. Eight suitcases. Your entire life in eight suitcases. Do you remember what you put in yours? <laughs> uh, you know what? At that point, it's not about whose suitcases, what. You just put whatever you can, whatever you think you'll need the most. And again, like this is, this is our story. I, and I'm, I'm grateful that we were able to bring what we could bring because there are some people who don't even have that opportunity. Uh, we, were, we were lucky that we, we brought things along with us that we, we knew we would need in our immediate future. Um, but, uh, yeah, like we, we came here, we didn't have a house. My parents didn't have jobs. Uh, but, but we had hope and we knew that we were going to work really, really hard and that, uh, we were, we were going to make it. When you arrived, what do you remember? <laughs> I was very jet lagged. Uh, that's what I remember about, uh, about that night when we landed, um, my dad, 
knew one person from his university who lived in Mississauga, and my and my cousin was there. And, uh, yeah, they came to us, uh, to the airport, uh, to take us home. And, uh, it was, it was nice. It felt like, I, you know what? I actually don't remember very well because I was so jet lagged and I was tired and probably in shock as well. But I remember what I did since then. <laughs> well, we'll get to that in just a minute. We'll talk. We're talking with Shobhita Sharma and we're talking about Shobhita's anniversary 14 years ago. Her family made the decision to liquidate everything, pack whatever they could into eight suitcases, and arrived in Canada with no place to live, arrived in Canada with no jobs. And it's one of those stories that a number of families can tell, and they're always so fascinating. Now, you arrive, you have basically one connection. Did you stay with them for a while? Well, for a month, and then I was starting university here in London, so... Um, we came and checked out London, and at that point, um, first it made economic sense to to be where I was going to be uh, going to school. So I was I was joining Western in September, and um, London. My dad just fell in love with London. He he loved the contrast between the hustle and bustle of of New Delhi, which he kind of all saw in the GTA. But then London was nice and quiet and peaceful, and and. That was that was very attractive. <laughs> so yeah, we we decided to live in in London, and I went to Western. Um, I graduated with uh, a bachelor's degree in media information and, and technoculture and film studies, and uh, then I went on to um, get a master's degree at Western as well in journalism. In doing what you did, how many times would you look back and say, if you had a, a big assignment due or an exam and say, you know what, uh, I got to put full effort into this because of what my family did for me? You know what, every single time. And I feel like um, because of what my parents did, my sister and I, like, we're both, we're both happily employed um, she, she went to Waterloo, lives in Toronto, has a really great career. I decided to stay here in London, be really, really involved in the community as a way of giving back to all the things that have to fall into place for me to be where I am. Um, I'm on, I'm on um, GAIAC, which is the Diversity, Inclusion, and Anti-Oppression Advisory Committee for the City of London. Uh, I serve on the board of Child Reach. Uh, I help out with Big Brothers, Big Sisters. Every single thing I do, um, I do it because, uh, well, or at least with, with the hope that I can make my parents proud of, of the very difficult decision that they made and that it led us to become um, the people that we are today. So, yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't thank them enough. I probably won't be able to thank them enough ever in my life for, for the huge sacrifice that they made. And a lot of people, people make those sacrifices for their children. And I think we are, we sometimes don't realize that we're so lucky in Canada to be able to offer safety and security to people. And again, like, I'm not saying that uh, we're, women are extremely safe in London, but we're safer compared to uh, what some, some women have to face in other parts of the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, with with my family, we when we moved to to London, this was home. We never thought of it as um, a temporary place. Going back was never an option. Um, so yeah, we just decided to jump 
with both feet in and uh, and become and become Londoners. And we are. Um, my parents are both involved uh, in their own little ways. Um, my dad is going to participate in a second MS bike tour on Saturday, so go dad. Uh, my mom, who had never worked a day in her life in India, is now leading a team of 40 people. And uh, yeah, things are things are pretty good, and uh, we're. I mean, I'm very grateful. You never, you knew you were never going to go back. But has there ever been a discussion? amongst your family as to either what may have played out in India or what has played out here? No, not really. We're, we're a very um, in-the-moment family, which, uh, which, is, which is good sometimes because, you know, there, there's so many would-have, could-have, should-have situations, but what really matters is what is now and what 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 we are living, the lives that we're living right now. Um, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, that's good. No, that's that's very good. <laughs> Shobhita, thank you so much for sharing your family's story, for sharing that sacrifice that many people just could not bring themselves to do, especially having been born here already. And thank your family for choosing this area. Oh, and thank you so much, Mike, for... Uh, for giving me this opportunity to share my family story and for for adding that extra sparkle to my anniversary. So thank you very much. Happy anniversary. <laughs> thank you. Shobhita Sharma. Definitely. Happy anniversary. How many people can say that? Every family can trace its roots back to somewhere that isn't here. Everybody can celebrate a anniversary. It's pretty rare when you think, yeah, I watched this play out and I was 18. Put everything into eight suitcases and go. Could you do it? Think about that. Try and go home tonight and picture if you have three people in the family, six suitcases. Four people, eight suitcases. What would you put in there? And would you be able to even do it? We're going to leave behind everything. We're going to liquidate everything. And it is just to change our life. By the way, I want to say hi to Veena Singh, who is listening to us from India right now. Great to have you a part of the show. Next, we'll let you know what's coming up after our next newscast with Jacqueline LaBelle. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. If you have anything you're planning to do, you might want to get it done by Friday. Doomsday people are at it again. London Live brought to you by Winmar, your restoration specialists. Hey, if anybody can get us through what's being talked about, it actually probably could be Winmar. Paul Begley, you know the name? He's a YouTube preacher, which immediately, immediately that knocks you down a few pegs, doesn't it? What do you do? I'm a preacher. Oh, what do you do? I'm a YouTube preacher. Oh, okay. Well, Paul Begley, who appears to subscribe to the Tetrad theory, which was put forth by John Hagee and Mark Blitz in 2013, and states that through a series of eclipses during Jewish holidays, Armageddon will be triggered. Paul Begley keeps watching, and he's decided that the latest day that the world is going to end, or I guess the next day, is Friday. That'll be it. So there will be a blood-red moon, which uh, will prompt something. Can you imagine being someone 
whose lifelong goal is to predict the end of the world? You know, it's one thing to try and predict who would win the World Cup, who's going to win the World Series, whether the Leafs are going to win the Stanley Cup in 2018, or sorry, in 2019 or, or 2020. Predicting the end of the world. How, how do you get up in the morning and, and feel good about that? Oh, hope today's the day. Oh, boy, if today's not the day, I'm going to be really disappointed. What? I really hope the world ends today so I can't have it tomorrow. Paul, can we take all of your energy and your YouTube channel and do anything else with it? I don't care what it is. Auction off cheese. Do something that is not what you are doing right now. If you enjoy cheese, that's one thing. If you try to keep yourself away from gluten, that's becoming an entirely different chore. Although, head to a restaurant anywhere now, and they will have gluten-free options on the menu. I know there are a lot of great cooks and a lot of great chefs in our city. I don't know how many of them will admit, yeah, you know what, that gluten-free thing? D. Delicious. Gluten-free is anything but. Now, some people cannot tolerate gluten. It is a serious condition. It is a serious allergy. There are others who have decided, you know, I'm just going to avoid gluten. I don't think it's that good for me. We're going to talk to somebody who's been looking into that after news with Jacqueline LaBelle. And you might be surprised at what you hear. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Did a particular story in Jacqueline LaBelle's news make you sad? It made me sad. We were talking about this yesterday. It wasn't a sad story, but it was the call for changes to legislation surrounding guns and weapons. Talked about this yesterday. Legislation, this legislation. There. Politicians get too stuck in something. Their own lives. And you can't help it. But if you go believing, yeah, yeah, legislation will fix all of this. No. No, this is not about legislation. This is not about how did somebody who had a history of mental illness get their hands on a gun. It happens. It's going to happen. You don't have to do it through legal means. You know, one of the best promises that we've seen, and I'm still not convinced it's enough money, is going back to the announcement from the federal government in 2017 that they would spend... 327, 328 million, seems we can't even get that straight in reports, but somewhere around there on guns and gangs and that that money would be given to police forces. That's the kind of thing that needs to happen. But we haven't necessarily seen that handed out. Will it get there? How will it be spent? All of those things. You know, it comes down to what is happening on the streets, not what's happening on paper. And a lot of times legislation doesn't really figure out what's happening on streets. It's all about paper. And then you have to worry about the streets making the paper apply. And it doesn't work that way. So I hope we can get through this. Well, we'll tighten up legislation. That's that's what's going to work for us. No, not really. Not Not really at all. It's not going to make a big difference. It's hard to get a gun in Canada. It's a lot harder than it is in the United States if you do it through legal means. If you want to do it through illegal means, it's like high school. Everybody always thinks, oh, man, it is so tough 
for kids to find alcohol and drugs, how do they keep doing it? They're not legal to go into a liquor store or a beer store and buy booze. Drugs themselves, until October 17th, are illegal, at least marijuana. How do they keep getting their hands on this? Gee, you know, that's that's the issue. You will not find any student anywhere in their teen years that doesn't know whose locker to knock on in order to get what they're looking for. That doesn't somehow have a fake ID that helps them to get what they're looking for. These things exist. It's not hard to get them. So the idea that we can say, well, guns, guns are very hard to get in Canada. Yeah, if you do it through the legal channel, they really are hard to get in Canada. The waiting period can be up to a year. But if you know the right people, the waiting period is later today. Yeah, I get that. Sure. You get the money? Yeah, here it is. Okay, we done? Yeah, we done? We good? Yeah, we're good. That's the transaction you got to worry about, and that's the one that's awfully tough to cut down on. Next up, gluten. Are you avoiding it? Maybe there's a reason you're avoiding it if you are. If you're not allergic to it, intolerant, or if you're not suffering from celiac disease, could be something completely different that's keeping you away from gluten, and it really doesn't have to be. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Let's get down to gluten. Who doesn't enjoy sitting back with a big bag of gluten every once in a while? A lot of foods are made without it now. A lot of restaurants have had to provide gluten-free options. And our next guest has been taking a look at all of this quite in-depth because she has a lot of experience with it. Dr. Charlene Elliott is with the University of Calgary, and she is also a chair with the Canadian Institute of Health Research in food. And she joins us now. Dr. Elliot, thank you for joining us. Nice to be there. Let's talk a little bit about gluten, because there are an awful lot of people who use that word and say, you know what, I, I don't think so. And it, it's almost like it's taken on some sort of meaning that maybe isn't there. So maybe it's time we delve into gluten. Let's start with what this stuff actually is. Oh, Gosh, um, so gluten is actually a protein that is found in wheat, rye, barley, and other grains. Um, so people who have celiac disease, uh, they have an inherited immune reaction that is triggered by gluten, which is this protein. And so they are unable to consume it without uh, fairly serious side effects. However, there has been also this sort of increase in um, consumers who don't have gluten intolerance who are interested in gluten-free feeling that it confers certain health benefits to them. Okay, and that definitely explains why this is something that people are paying attention to. If you can get health benefits these days, hey, a lot of us are willing to try, sure. When it comes to avoiding gluten, if you are not someone who is, is gluten intolerant, if you don't suffer from celiac is it something yeah. that, that helps you out, or is it something that maybe we, we should rethink? Well, I am not a medical doctor, but what I will say is all of the literature does indicate that if you don't have gluten intolerance, there's actually no health reason that you need to avoid gluten in your diet. Which kind of sounds strange because we're, we're led down a path that seems to be saying, <laughs> ah, this stuff, you, you probably don't yeah. want to use this stuff, have this stuff. What do you think is prompting that? 
Well, one of the things that got me inspired about this study was taking a look at the trade literature. And it labels gluten-free the fastest-growing food intolerance category. So it's been lauded for its growth potential. And 1% of the population has celiac disease. So 1% of the population, including 1% of children, should be avoiding gluten. But the growth of the the market um, in gluten-free far exceeds the percentage of the population that need to avoid gluten. So we have statistics for the United States because we never seem to have statistics for Canada, but the gluten-free market is projected to exceed $2 billion in the United States by 2020 alone. And what it does is it sort of taps into this free-from trend that you see going in um, marketing, which is like free from artificial colors, free from artificial flavors, free from gluten. And so it's got this kind of health halo associated with it that somehow avoiding gluten will be better for your health. And just to add to this, I mean, I was kind of interested in the study that came out of Washington by a consumer research group called the Hartman Group that said only 6% of consumers who purchase gluten-free products actually have gluten intolerance. And the remaining consumers, 35%, purchase it because they think that it will be healthier for you, or they think that they will lose weight consuming gluten-free, or they think that um, they're experimenting with a new eating plan. So there's all of these other reasons that people are purchasing gluten-free that have nothing to do with having a gluten intolerance at all. And that's why I was looking at the nutritional profile, because if there is this health halo, then is it actually warranted? And for those who are spending quite a bit more money to buy gluten-free products because they think they're healthier, are these products actually healthier? We're talking with Charlene Elliott, who is a professor of communications at the University of Calgary and a Canada Research Chair in Food Marketing and Health. And boy, doesn't that raise all kinds of things when we look at the power of advertising, the power of marketing. When you looked through the data on all of this, what did you find? So, well, we we purchased 374 child-targeted products from the supermarket. Um, and then we separated out the ones that had special gluten-free claims from the ones that did not have uh, gluten-free claims. And we found that, one, the gluten-free products were not nutritionally superior. 88% of them could be classified as of poor nutritional quality coming from high levels of sugar, fat, and or salt. Um, and 80% of the products we looked at had high sugar levels. So hmm. there wasn't a, certainly wasn't a nutritional advantage to buying these products. Okay, and sometimes people will tell you the the taste is not quite there. If you've tried gluten-free <laughs> apple pie and you've been able to get that down, I, uh, I'd i like to give you a ribbon or some sort of button or badge. Uh, that was tough. When you look at, at exactly where the results of this study can go, what do you think it helps to show? Um, I think it shows two things. One, for the parents who are purchasing gluten-free for their kids because they think it will be healthier for them, Uh, I think they can stop doing that. For the parents who are purchasing gluten-free for children who have a gluten intolerance, I think it kind of underscores the challenge of getting an adequate diet from processed foods. But this holds true for all processed foods. I mean, the the child-targeted products that weren't gluten-free were not nutritionally uh, superior either, right? So it sort of taps into this broader kind of notion around taking a really careful look at the types of products that you're eating and the foods you're eating, including looking at the nutrition facts label very carefully. And when we're looking at that label, sometimes it's difficult to know what we're looking at. Is there anything that you find as a key on those nutrition labels that we need to pay more attention to? 
Well, one of the things that I think is somewhat challenging is the number of synonyms for sugar that you can find on a nutrition tax label. So, you know, it's not only sugar, brown sugar, molasses, agave syrup, um, grape juice concentrate, pear juice concentrate. So there's all of these things that are equivalents to sugar that tend to be in the product listing that, and sometimes there's multiple lists of different sugar equivalents in a product um, just to make it look like it's healthier than it really is. And we used to look at things like sucralose or fructose or the, all the yeah. oats. You're saying things like grape juice concentrate can be sugar? It's, it's equivalent to sugar, yes. And the body treats it as sugar, wow. right? The body can't tell the difference. But as far as gluten goes, if you have celiac disease, absolutely, that can help you to avoid it. If you have an intolerance, absolutely. For everybody else, it's just the marketing taking over? I believe so. Wow. Well, Dr. Elliot, we really appreciate your time and your findings and your thoughts on this. Thanks so much. Thank you. That was Dr. Charlene Elliot. She's part of the Canadian Institute of Health Research. She is a professor at the University of Calgary. One of the stats, and I love how Dr. Elliott said, we have numbers, but for whatever reason, we don't have Canadian numbers on this. But still, we kind of translate across the border a whole lot. How much do you think gluten-free products as an industry is expected to bring in in the U.S. by 2020? Think about this as an industry, because that's essentially what it's become. Well, according to Tony Gutierrez of the Associated Press, $2 billion. This is now a multi-billion dollar industry. And yet, you may be putting yourself through eating those products that aren't as tasty as the regular products, and it's kind of like supreme gasoline for your car. Same sort of thing. This is how I read it anyway. Think about the highest high end. What do we hear about that? Well, there are certain engines that absolutely need it. Otherwise, do you need it? Is it doing anything for your car? No, not really. Just costing you more. You can put in Supreme all you want or whatever the highest of the high is. It's not really getting you any more mileage. Maybe it's a little cleaner for your engine. Talk to a mechanic. They don't say, hey, yeah, you you should use that. Unless, of course, your car specifies that you need it. Same as gluten. Some people need to avoid gluten because of the allergy, because of the intolerance. For everybody else, you're just spending more for horrible-tasting apple pie. At least that's what these findings are showing. It's an industry. Mmm, beware the industry. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. It's an interesting thing to watch in women's hockey. Women's hockey has made incredible strides at the international level. Professionally, it is still trying to get itself going. And Jaina Hefford, who has spent a lot of time with Canada's national women's team as a player, is now the interim commissioner. And she's basically got one main job as she begins with the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And that is to unite that league with another league. Because in women's professional hockey right now, you have the Canadian Women's Hockey League. And they have done a great job kind of tying themselves to the Calgary Flames, the Montreal Canadiens, the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have some partnerships. They have a TV deal. They've been able to create some salary structure. They also have a rival who 
isn't really a rival. It's kind of like two things have sprung up at almost the same time. You have the National Women's Hockey League in the United States. And if you are trying to grow something, if you're trying to make something big, what do you do? Think about investing. What is the goal with investing? Eventually, it's to diversify. But what is it initially? Well, you want to build up a a big enough egg to invest, right? If you're putting down a dollar, chances are you're not going to be able to grow that very big. If you turn that into $100, well, it's it's a bigger amount. Well, what if you had two stacks of 50? Well, that's not as good as 100. Not going to be able to, to make as much on that, that one great big thing. And that's where women's hockey is right now. You've got two different leagues, and they are both competing for the best of the best players. Women's hockey, like any other sport that is trying to get itself going, and you can't classify women's hockey as men's hockey right now because they're not in the same place. Could they be one day? Nothing to say they couldn't. But right now, they're not. You've got more of a fledgling start for women's hockey. So you've got two separate things. Combine those into one. One of the issues that they face is the fact that you have an entrepreneur who has started things in the United States, and it's a for-profit league. Canadian Women's Hockey League has kind of operated non-profit. Everything kind of goes back to the players, let's build this. The United States has a very different direction, and an entrepreneur began their league. So Jaina Hefford, who comes in as the interim commissioner, now has to find a way to put these two together, because that's the ultimate. If you can't do that then both are probably going to fail because you're just diluting things right from the start. This goes back to when the NFL and the AFL joined. What did they give? Oh, Super Bowl. Yeah, wow, Super Bowl. The first Super Bowl, nobody cared. Nobody really cared about that. It took a while for the NFL to be what it is today. ABA and NBA, they merged. That sort of thing has to happen in women's hockey. Otherwise, in my mind, the sport's in trouble. Coming up tomorrow on the show, we are hoping to be in conversation with somebody who walked right along the same treads as Tiger Woods on the weekend. Did you get any alerts on the weekend on Tiger Woods? Wasn't that wild? Everybody rushing. I I still haven't seen the TV numbers, but the TV numbers starting the Open Championship were up 23% just from having Tiger Woods there. This is a guy who could still be a broken shell of his former self. But for one gleaming moment, everything in that shell was put back together. He wasn't sitting in the middle of the pack. He was Humpty Dumpty sitting right back on the wall. Tiger Woods was in first place at the Open Championship. And everybody just clamored to see, wow, we got to see this. Tiger Woods could win. He was wearing red. It was Sunday. Everybody was kind of melting below him. And then he kind of self-destructed. But for a second, it was there. And we'll talk to somebody who also was there. Plus, we will hopefully we'll either do this before or after. We want to talk a little bit about another golfer. The Canadian Open is this week. Mitch Sutton is from London, attended Saunders, and he's going to be playing in the Canadian Open. And so we're hoping to be able to get him, but he might be a little busy. You know, you qualify to play in the Canadian Open. Everybody thinks, oh, being a golfer, 
how much fun that would be. That would be so easy. That would be so great. Yeah, until you have to chip a ball six hours a day. Until you have to work on your putting for another eight hours after that. Wait a minute, that's a 14-hour day. Yeah, that's what some of them do. And you want to bet he's spending a whole lot of time on the course right now getting himself ready for Glen Abbey. But either before or after, we'll hope to check in with Mitch Sutton. Don't forget that the celebration for Hockeyville in Lucan. They've got a big old day happening in Lucan right now. Logan Couture is there. That is taking place until 4 o'clock. So you've got another hour if you're in the neighborhood to get out and enjoy that. And Toronto and Ottawa will meet up in a preseason game as we get into the preseason. Still a little ways away. We don't want to wish away the summer just yet. London Live brought to you by our friends at Winmar, your restoration specialist. Thanks to Andrew Graham. Thanks to Devin Peacock. News is next with Jacqueline LaBelle and Matt Trevithick. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL.